Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf, once again talking about the game we all love. Yeah, we're here again, and we made that aforementioned trip from Darlington to Bangkok, and now we're back. Unfortunately, me and Nick didn't make that, but um, the snooker world has. But yeah, uh, we're back and getting ready for another ranking event, which we're looking forward to. We really are, Phil. Yeah, very much looking forward to the Classic. We'll preview that uh, shortly. Uh, apologies for being a, a little later th- than we wanted to be this week. Truth is, I was horribly unwell a couple of nights ago, and it really did knock me for six. And, um, well, I find humour in most things, Phil, as you know, but um, not in this. All, all I can say is I, I'm pretty low energy. But you texted me a couple of hours ago, didn't you, and said, well, you assured me, you said you bring your A game to this episode, which definitely confused me because I presumed... You always had been bringing your A game to every episode. Uh, well, I'm sort of Mark Selby-esque. Where I often rely on my B and C game to get through. But yeah, if it clicks into A game, then all the better. But sometimes I have to make do with what's there. You're one of the few podcasts hosts, Phil, that can still produce brilliance while delivering your B game. That's classic <laughs> Selby, classic Higgins, isn't it? Lots to talk about as ever, Phil. Let's maybe kick off with a sixth red, shall we, and say uh, congratulations to Ding Junhui, who who won the tournament, beating Tetchaya Anu 8-6 in the final. It's actually his second sixth red. So uh, it's, uh, I think, a, a title we can all enjoy, because I think most of us that, that love the game heard Dave Hendon say this, you know, have, a, have an affinity with Ding. I guess there'll be the odd exception to that, like there is to anything. But most of us, you know, have followed this extraordinary career, you know, with great admiration, great respect. And it, to see Ding in the winner's circle is something that I think is, is a bit special. And I was taken by some of the things he was saying. He, he said, there isn't much pressure with the ranking points, so it's relaxed. The organisation was so good. I'm happy to come here and win again. 
The sixth race is quite fun for the players. Uh, there were some players coming here for the first time, like Ronnie and Judd. It's fun and games and good uh, to play in. I will go back to practice now and work hard for the end of the season. It's not the most high-profile event. It is I mean, gimmick. I've seen that word used. is perhaps a bit unfair. It's not quite that. It's a, it's a variation, certainly. Uh, but you're still playing snooker. And, you know, Ding, we should say, congratulations. And, you know, he, he's had a... He's had a marvellous career and he's been out of the winner's circle for too long. Yes, he has. Yeah, he looked like, um, you know, the UK he looked like he was really back. He was playing great. Even halfway through the final, looked like he was nailed on to win it and then didn't. Um, and he's had a funny season in a way because that sort of has got him into all the big ones, but he hasn't done loads of other stuff. But um, yeah, looked great throughout there. I mean, uh, he mentioned Ronnie going to play there and Ronnie really had his serious head on. Um, he was on full uh, promotion duties on his social media and stuff, wasn't he? He was playing very properly. Um, so I really did think he would, uh, he did very well. And Ding beat him quite comfortably um, when they met, I think in the round of 16 it was. Um, and then he beat Bingham, Ford, and then the home favourite, Tep Chai. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that Ding was a popular winner overall, but probably not in Thailand at the time, who uh, the local fans definitely wanted Tep Chai to do well, who he's a previous winner as well. And I think he'd been to the final before as well. So couple of specialists in the old six red tournament uh, format there. Um, but yeah, it was, I thought it was enjoyable. I think it, what he said was right. The players who were over there definitely loved it because the pressure off um, playing in a, playing abroad again. And I think a lot of them have got a bit bored of what it's been like since the pandemic. Um, you know, a lot of the big tournaments have got back to normal, but they were, you know, they, they get made to feel very special over there, don't they? Um there are a lot of good Instagram videos of people being driven around on tuk-tuks, being waved at by people on the side of the street. They had the red carpet going in into the tournament, into the arena. Um, so, yeah, I think they get to be made to be feel like proper sports stars over there. So I think everyone enjoyed it and it was good to watch. Yeah, we haven't watched it for a while. Um, some great games. The semi-final, Tep Chai won over, over for five was great. A couple of other games for five beat Trump in the round before. Um yeah, so I think enjoyable. A nice little aside from the rest of the season, really. Yes, indeed. That I would say that's a, a good way of summing it up. And just to sort of fill people in a bit more, I do have some results here. And maybe we'll take them from the from the quarterfinal stage. As you said, there were some notable results in the last 16. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Ding beat Ronnie O'Sullivan 6-2. So really good win there. Uh, another result to catch the eye here. Stuart Bingham 6, Ricky Walden 0. Uh, and Tep Chai getting the better of Detroit Pumjang 6-2 at that stage. Into the quarterfinals, Tep Chai beat Zhang Anders 6-2. It was Ding Junhui 6, Stuart Bingham 2. Tom Ford 6, John Higgins 5. Really exciting match there. Uh, and again, a close one, Hussein Bafai 6, Judd Trump 5. Then in the semifinals, Tep Chai beating Hussein Bafai 7-6. Ding beating Tom Ford 7-4. And then Ding beating Tem Chaya. Uh, 8-6 in the final. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned probably every single player, and not just us, but between that, you know, every sort of one working in snooker journalism, every sort of top player or those near the top as potential crucible candidates this time, mm. it's so open. But I'm not sure anyone's really mentioned Ding. And, well, it would, you know, anytime he wins it now would be a hell of a story, of course, because, he, you know, he, he, we waited so long, haven't we, in a way, and most of us reconciling ourselves, I think, to the fact that he, he, he may not ever win it now. 
he's getting to that age and he, you know, he, he's obviously not on the door a lot of times, but he'd have to get there. But, you know, he's the kind of guy that if we did have a run, it would be a thrilling thing, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be great. And, um, yeah, he's he's going to be probably going in as a qualifier unless he does something uh, remarkable over the last two tournaments of the season. And he, no one will want to draw him, but that's been the case. Um, it certainly was last year. I think it was the year before as well. Um, but he didn't get past the first round. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's one of those people you wouldn't be shocked to see if he went out in the first round or you wouldn't be shocked to see him in the final. It's hard to tell what he's going to do, really. As I said, got to the UK final, looked like he was going to win it didn't and he's done very little else all season and he won this one last week so he's, he's a hard man to predict these days he used to be very very reliable um but we don't not sure what he's going to do now but um certainly his best certainly still good enough to win any tournament and yeah it's weird when you say he got to that age because he's been around for so long he's only 35 yeah so, <laughs> compared to some like late bloomers um he could have an awful long time left in snooker but the way he's spoken about in the past you don't really expect him to go go on forever. Um, I think he sort of wants to go back to China and be with his family at some point, and they're not too, too distant future, so he probably won't be playing into his 50s or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at 35, he's got a while left. But, as I say, just so unpredictable. But, um, yeah, it, it would be great to see him have a run because he's one of those players that, it's hard to say, deserves a World Championship, anything like that, but... Um, he's one of the he's one of the best players ever, really. And um, to have one final, no world championship seems. I think you said it with Neil before. It seems a bit light, and that would probably be the same with Ding. Yeah, that's right. And of course, he did get to that final as a qualifier, didn't he? Which that yeah. precedent for him to do that. Yeah, he, you've hinted at this before. And it's funny the vagaries of age, isn't it? Because I think Judd Trump still. At, at, Certainly, Jack Lasalle. They're sort of painted as young bucks, aren't they, with a whole yeah. of eyes ahead of them? But they're not that, that much younger than Ding, are they? But, but I, I said it, and it just—you're right to say he's only that age, but he's been around for so long. This happens in a lot of sports. I said it before when people start as as teenagers. It, it, Rooney was always like this in football. Yeah. I he'd been around forever, and he was like thirty-one and stuff. It's just funny the way it, it paints a different picture when they start young, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think Judd's only a couple of years younger than Ding, so they should be real sort of contemporaries. But and Judd sort of came on the scene quite young, but it took a while to really. So Ding was racking up loads of titles at an earlier age, wasn't he? But yeah, it's a funny one, and uh, yeah, he's he's certainly painted in. Um, he's sort of bracketed in the same era as Selby and Robertson. I suppose there's only a few years either side, but yeah, if he wants it, he, he's got a few years left for sure. He definitely has, and we must say, you know, uh, hats off to Ding. And uh, I, I must admit, I didn't see too much of it myself, but the bits I saw, it's so, you know, as you say, looked very well organised. Uh, you know, it, it 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 really looked the part as a tournament. It was, you know, well delivered. And I think we have got a bit of a question about that later, actually, from one of our guests for the last couple of weeks regarding different formats. Well, perhaps we'll talk a bit more about it then, but... Uh, I, for one, welcome that those uh, different formats, as long as they don't, you know, get overused. You know, I think that there's a place for it. And uh, I'm sure there's a, there's a future in it as well. And, Phil, perhaps we'll move on to the more traditional form of the game now and the classic, which we are looking forward to. It's the, the next big ranking event. We haven't done one for a couple of weeks. So we, I think we feel ready again, don't we? And uh, there's a lot of intrigue about this one, isn't there? 
uh, <laughs> not least the old subplots about who makes the tour championship. Now, uh, World Snooker Tour and yourself very, very helpfully put out some information in the last wee while. And it's fascinating to see that 18 players can still book their spots there. Five are guaranteed, Mark Allen, Sean Murphy, Ali Carter, Kyron Wilson and Ryan Day. And the next three in the one-year list, Rob Milkins, Ding Jun Wee and Mark Selby, well, they'd be qualified if nothing changed. But next to that, there's, what, 15 more? I mean, it's just... That's the beauty of these ITV events. Not only are they just brilliant to watch in the weeks, but they add so much. Let's remember the Classic itself will be an important title to win. But what a subplot. We'll, we'll be working out our ranking points and putting people up and down all week, Phil. Yeah, definitely. I think some of them are quite unlikely. I think nine of them, it was at least nine, need to win it um, to get in there. So big ask for that. But then, the, but, you know, there are big names in that group, though. So, you know, Ronnie O'Sullivan and Mark Williams certainly could win it. <laughs> and Neil Robertson as well. Um so yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to play for. Um, yeah, it's interesting the five that are up there. I mean, it's been such a funny season, isn't it? Like yeah. Ryan Day, yeah. Kyra Wilson. I remember now when you think about it, what they've done, but it's it's amazing that those two are sort of guaranteed to be in the tour championship. Um, it doesn't feel like they've just been sort of dominating in any stretch. Um, but yeah, it's just been so outside of Mark Allen. Really, it's been so varied who's been winning and. Uh, not the big boys, as he, as we can as excel by Robertson and O'Sullivan being so far down. Higgins can't can't get in the tour championship, uh, which is crazy, really. But yeah, it's um, yeah. I wrote that piece earlier, just sort of explaining that tour championship stuff. But there's also the seedings coming up for the Crucible. Um, people will be probably decided to be in the top sixteen by the end of this, and people will be very much thinking about tour survival as well. Anyone who's anywhere near number sixty four in the rankings will be. Um, Desperate for some wins. So, yeah, the Classic's been sort of thrown together after Turkey was cancelled. Um, it's going to be a bit low-key, not on a traditional TV channel. It's on Matching Live. No fans until the final day. Um, but despite all of that, it's going to be very, very important matches for people's seasons. Um, so if you can watch it, I think it'll be worth watching. Well, very well advertised, absolutely. And we should say that, David Hendon and Dominic Dale are doing the commentary. So there, there is going to be a commentary service. It's £5, as, as I understand, for the week. So even even with my rudimentary math these days, Phil, that's a less, less, less than a quid a day, isn't it? Less than yeah. a quid a day. To watch the <laughs> Not that I don't work for them, but <laughs> there are a lot of things that are bad value these days. That's, that's not that. I do understand, to be fair, I'm not going to be flippant now, that People say, well, I already played for this, that, and the other service, and mm-hmm. the heavens above, you know, if you're a sports fan now, we, you know, it does feel a bit like extra upon extra, frankly. But, you know, taking in the round for the whole week of a tournament we maybe might not have had at all, it's probably worth dipping in and paying. I, I still think in terms of shillings, Phil. So what's that? That's um, is that 100 shillings, I think. Oh, don't ask me. <laughs> But yeah, I do get your point. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it is annoying because, you know, the Turkish was going to be on Eurosport. I'm sure everyone listening to this probably has paid the Eurosport subscription being a sneaker fan. So then that being taken away and have to play another one is annoying. But like you say, it, for what you get, if, you, if you've got time to watch quite a lot of it, it's not bad value. And uh, Dave was saying on the Snooker Scene podcast that, um, 
you know, they're going to get loads of players of people who've won. They'll be in the commentary box asking them questions. So it does sound like you'll get a lot of interesting content in there as well, not just streaming the matches. So, yeah, obviously understand if people don't want to pay for it again um, on top of other stuff, but um, you'll get a lot of good stuff for you for five quid. And I think in those circumstances, when it is an important tournament behind closed doors with all the big names in there, I'm sure there'll be some great snooker. The standard should be high. Um, so, yeah, again, we don't work for anyone um, trying to sell this stuff, but it'll be worth watching. I think so. And, you know, looking at the names here, I mean, you've already suggested this. These are the names that are outside that top eight of the one-year list. You've either got some of the very best players in the history of the game here or some of the very best players of, of modern times, some brilliant performers of the last few seasons. You know, they're all here, basically. Uh, Luca Bussell, Jack Lazowski, Gary Wilson, Judd Trump, Tom Ford, Joe O'Connor, Zhao Yulong, Chris Wakeling, Mark Williams, Barry Hawkins, Zhao Gudong, Neil Robertson, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Nopon Sankam, Anthony McGill. Now, oh, a few, a couple of left field ones there and uh, people that haven't won tournaments, I think, looking through through it here or certainly not regularly, but there are some ex- incredible names, you know, world semi-finalists, world finalists, you know, multiple tournament winners. It, it's just a, a proper potpourri of stars here. And as you say, Phil, a lot of them have to win the tournament, but you wouldn't remotely put it past some of these guys to do just that. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, it's been such a mad season in terms of predicting winners. I wouldn't know where to start with predicting who's going to win this one. Um, but yeah, any of those guys, especially with the bit between the teeth knowing they have to, why not? You know, Neil Robertson is going to win a tournament at some point this season, you would expect, so it could be now. Um, Ronnie Summers not won a ranking tournament this season, so it could be now. Um, yeah, it's, it's very hard to say. Um, it really could be a- anyone, even if they're not playing for, um, if they've not even got that in in their sights, you know. Um, John Higgins showed that he was getting into good form, didn't he, by winning the Invitational Champions League, Championship League. Um, He can't get in the Tour Championship, but it wouldn't be that surprising if he laid down a marker by doing very well here, then the Tour Championship happens, but we're still thinking, oh, Higgins is in good form for Sheffield. So, yeah, a tough one to predict this week, I would say, in... uh, it's an annoying one, actually. <laughs> Running from Thursday to Wednesday, mm. whenever I write stuff, it's always this week or something, but it's very difficult when it's over two weeks. But it's a week-long event, but yeah, you know what I mean. Although it's bloody good news for this pod in the end, with me not being <laughs> well. <laughs> One of the least timely podcasts ever. Bringing the tournament that's already started. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. It's a weird one, isn't it? Thursday to, to Wednesday. Uh, and a weird one, generally. There won't be any any fans there. We've got a, a question about that later, actually. Should we should we rip the rule book up, as we so often do uh, on this pod, Phil, and just, just actually say, um, Rob, on Twitter, it's good that World Snooker have put an event on instead of Turkey, but doesn't it devalue it a lot when fans can't get in to, to watch until the final day? Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no because. Fans are in there for some of it, um, and important parts of it, the latter stages. That's one thing I would say. And I, I, you know, you're still having to beat your fellow best players in the game. You know, thankfully, it's you know touching wood now here, Phil, on my table here. It's a one-off, not like the COVID era where this was every week. Um, 
I think it's unfair to say it, it will devalue it. I mean, I know, I know people argue that it devalued things a lot. I mean, that's what Yan Bintao got a bit, didn't even people when he won the Masters and, you know, thought to some extent that was unfair. But but I think it would be un, unfair to say it, it, it's a great devaluer for, for a one-off. I don't know if I'm being too kind. It's a shame. We always want fans to be there. But I think for, you know, for various lateness reasons, logistical reasons, it hasn't been possible to have that for the for the vast majority of the tournament. But that, I think devaluing will go too far. Yeah, I think so. And I, I guess because it is a separate thing, I mean, what, what is being devalued? You know, this is just what the WST Classic is. There's nothing to compare it to because we've not had it before. We probably won't have it again. I did, uh, I spoke to Jason Ferguson a few weeks ago now, actually, and I said, is there any plans to sort of keep this and expand it back to anything bigger? He did sort of very much suggest it was only going to be, it's a filler inner. Um, it's it's making do um, at the very short term uh, notice. So um, yeah, I mean it's uh, <laughs> it's unlikely to go down as um, one of the greatest tournaments ever held, is it? But um, you never know. As I say, I think the standards going to be great. So um, we'll see. But um, yeah, it's it's effectively it's going to go down like a home nations event um, in terms of the prize money, the length of matches, largely. Um, so it's serious, and all the, all the best players, all the players are in it. Um, so if you come away the winner, um, you'll have earned it very much so. Um, but yeah, I think everyone knows what it is, isn't it? Devalued or whatever, how you want to describe it. Um, it's not an amazing tournament, but it's very much worth winning, and it's going to be very important, as as sort of previously described. And it seems a very obvious point, but it just just crossed my mind again while you were speaking that lest we forget. What we all recognise, I think, or most of us, as probably the greatest day in the history of the World Championship and maybe of snooker, came when no one was there. Yeah. So if you talk about devaluing things, the day that we'll be talking about forever and a day came at a behind-closed-doors crucible, which I think does maybe say a lot. We don't want it to be like that again, but to, to, you know, it may be an important thing to sort of point out there. Well, I don't know if you've um, got any particular matches to look forward to. I'll scribble down a, a, a few here. Uh, maybe I'll do some of the early ones that, that I like the look of. Jack Lazowski, Louis Heathcote on, on Thursday morning. They played one match two years ago. I was looking out at the German Masters, which Lazowski won 5-4. Uh, Stuart Bingham's got on Yi uh, on Thursday afternoon. And uh, Mark Allen, very much a player of the season. Um, I can't remember if we got a question, but I think we have about him and whether he's peaked too early coming later on as well. Keep teeing up our questions, Phil. Um, he's got Peter Lines, friend of the podcast. I noticed, though, that in their history, Longings has only won one match and, and they play quite a lot. So um, history very much on Mark Allen's side there. And uh, Mark Davis against Fergal O'Brien on Thursday. Guess what I'm, guess what I'm uh, lead, leading towards? <laughs> oh, the first time they've met, hopefully. <laughs> uh, it is, but I think, I think it's going to be a bad one. I think it's going to be a bad one. It's, tell you what. I wasn't planning to do this, but it's later than you think. We don't like to, you know, okay. steal, steal content of other people's podcasts, not knowingly anyway, of course. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we heard Dave title his latest episode that, well, this is later than you think. 2000 and... 2000? Oh, 2001. Oh, I nearly said it! <laughs> We're being open. Well, wow. I thought I was about to say 2001. I reverted to 2000. Shane, your guesses are very good. Do you want to take us maybe from a few on on 
have you got the list there from Friday onwards? Uh, yeah, mine wasn't in chronological order, but I can get that up very easily. Um, yeah, there's a few decent ones, aren't there? I noticed Michael Holt is in this one. He's playing Matt Selp, who's been playing very well of late. Obviously, Friday evening, Ronnie O'Sullivan is playing the African champion, Mohamed Ibrahim, who uh, actually I got in contact with Will Snoop to see if I could speak to him, but apparently his English isn't great for a phone chat, so um didn't bother with that. But hopefully I'll get to catch up with him, catch up with him at some point. Uh, Judd Trump, David Lilly, they seem to they seem to go through a spell of playing each other an awful lot uh, a year or so ago, so that could be interesting again. Uh, Mark Williams got Sean O'Sullivan Friday afternoon. Um, Graham Dot against Jimmy White. Now I haven't looked that up. That could be one for a first meeting. Uh, could be interesting. Obviously, Jimmy's had a great season. Um, so yeah, there's a few other um, decent enough ones. Liam Highfield against Marco Fu. Um, that's into into Saturday now. So I don't know if there's any. Oh, there's Sell against Holt. That's Saturday afternoon. Um, yeah, so some some decent first rounders. Yeah, oh, so definitely. Don't think you mentioned John Higgins, Michael White. There, that should be some lovely. Mm. That's Saturday afternoon, and uh, they're really spread out. Actually, aren't they? I think the nature of it. You know, these opening matches go on for co- quite a lot of days. Mark Selby's got Fraser Patrick on Saturday night, and then one match I noticed from. Uh, Sunday morning coming up, Robert Milkins against Mink Nutrak. Mm. Robert Milkins, of course, very much um, one of the sort of players of the season. He's one of those that I've heard people talk about for maybe having a long crucible run. Far, far stranger things have, ha- have happened than that. And, uh, yeah, so I think generally you should have called WST's bluff there, Phil, and said, well, okay, but I speak very good Arabic. <laughs> Would have been a lie. Um, but we are looking forward to it, aren't we? It's fair to say. And... You know, it's a it's an unusual one, unusual time, midweek to midweek, but it'll be some 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 great uh, streaming, some great television for those that, those of us that choose to watch it, and you know, a lot at stake, so much at stake. The Tour Championship coming up, of course, which is um, a brilliant tournament in its own right, which we are looking forward to. We'll we'll see for sure uh, in around about a week's time who is going to play who at that, who is qualified for that 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 fabulous uh, eight eight player event. And uh, sort of Sheffield on the horizon as well. and going to finalise the seeds for that soon. So, yeah, lo- lots to look forward to. And uh, I think we should maybe just say to everyone to, to to enjoy the classic. Underway Thursday morning in Leicester. Of course, you're going to be there, Phil, as well. Another an, an, another element that adds, adds a bit of gravitas to the whole thing. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. But, um, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, pop down. I mean, there's so many matches um, in one day. I can only get there on the Thursday, but I will... Uh, make the most of that because there's an awful lot of people to speak to. Um, so that'd be good. Yeah. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll let people know what it's like behind the scenes because no one else will be there. So uh, um, keep an eye on my Twitter or whatever, and I'll keep you updated. I'll, and I'll let you know when we're back on here. Um, so yeah, looking forward to that. Good man. So the classic's coming up then and, uh, and it should give us some fine entertainment uh, in the, in the week to come. Uh, we should make uh, uh, make a couple of more notes here before we move on to correspondence. Liam Graham, the 18-year-old, uh, has won the European Under-21 Championship in Malta, uh, beating Julian Boyko 5-2 in the final. So, uh, congratulations to him. There was, a, there was an incident where the cue ball hit the rest, wasn't there? I kept reading on Twitter, but again, one of those where the players had already shaken hands, I think. I've forgotten the match we, we saw that in. Uh, in the pro ranks, actually, that happened. 
But um, I think it was I think it was Higgins against Yuan Sejun, as far as I remember. But I think there was another one as well. It's happened more than once, but this one was really a non-issue because I think it has happened before where it could genuinely have been called a foul. But in this one, Boyko was already at the table and put his cue on the table, and they were shaking hands. So I think there was sort of nothing to see there um, in terms of that. But but yeah, superb win for Liam Graham, who is a name I've sort of heard about uh, for a little while. But I, I thought he wasn't quite up there as um, with Boyko and Liam Davies and a couple of others, Liam Pullen, maybe. I was quite surprised. Um, not not surprised, surprised, like, as I say, I've been aware of him. But um, he's done very well to come through that field and beat Boyko quite quite comfortably in the final, really. So um, fantastic result for him. And Scottish snooker, which uh, has not been booming like it has in the past, really. But uh, another great addition to the tour there. So uh, congratulations to him. Very many congratulations. And we should say he is now on the list of players that have been entered into, into world qualifying, Phil. 16 players, amateur players. This has been announced in recent days. And uh, Liam Graham, uh, the new European Under-21 Championship winner, is there. Also there, Long Ma, the WSF Championship winner. Stan Moody, the WSF Junior Championship winner. And the WSF Championship runner-up. Liam Davies, who we know so much about, of course, what a, what a promising player he is. He was the semi-finalist at the WSF Championship. He's in as well, as is Yang Gao, another semi-finalist at that event. Liam Pullen, the WSF Junior Championship runner-up. And uh, Julian Boyko, the WSF Junior Championship uh, semi-finalist, as we know, just got to another final there. We just talked about Phillips uh, Kalnins, the WSF Junior Championship semi-finalist. Martin O'Donnell, WPBSA Q Tour winner. Uh, Borso Rivez, the EBSA European Under 18 Championship winner. I'm going to say Bay Pat, Phil, this time <laughs> because it's only fair after my um, uh, relatively good effort, I think, but but not good enough to keep keep doing it for sure. Uh, World Women's Snooker Champion, Bay Pat's in there as well. Ross Muir, WPBSA and WBBSA Q Tour, as are Daniel Wells, Billy Castle, George Pragnell and Farrakh Ajay. So a lot of talent there. <laughs> a lot of, you know, not and not and not a lot of guys that will be glad to draw some of those players, I think, early on in qualifying, it's fair to say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're all capable of um, causing some upsets. Obviously, Liam Davis famously last year won again, the youngest player ever to win a World Championship game and he beat uh, Aaron Hill. I'm going to say that off memory and I think that's right. Um, and then he beat Fergal in the next round as well. Um, so yeah, very capable. Um, Bulkshi Revers, I'll be interested to see. He, yeah, he won the under 18s before Liam Graham won the under 21s, which the under 18s didn't come with the tour card. But it's good to see that he's got through this. He's uh, he's Hungarian and um, sort of their brightest prospect. Um, I spoke, I remember speaking to Liam Davies about him when I spoke to him, and uh, he rated him very highly. But just one of those awkward things where really. He'll have to move to the UK to sort of really kick on. And it's just such a huge commitment for sort of the whole family to move over here. You know, we saw Ladislav Gardinari at the shootout, who their family had moved over. They're based in Leeds from Moldova, um, which is probably the best way to do it. But, you know, it's such a massive thing. And really, it'd be better if the sport was global enough where he could stay in his home nation and progress where, there how he can. But, um, yeah, that's the way it is, I'm afraid. And... Uh, be good to see him play though, because I've heard a lot of good stuff about him. And yeah, all of those people deserving. I think the only person who, well, I'm sure there's other people who would suggest it, but 
Ash Carter, who won the Q Tour playoffs, I interviewed him last week actually after he got through that, and he was pretty hopeful of getting a place. He thought he felt reasonably likely. He missed out. Um, and actually, sure, George Pragnell tweet, who was one of the players who got a place, saying that Carty's very unlucky to miss out. But you know, I don't want to go through that list and picking who picking who we should replace or anything because they all deserve to be there. But um, yeah, that's one person who maybe should have been there. But can't argue with any of the ones that are either. There. No, definitely. And I've I've been reading and noting the progress of Bulgsu Rivers for some time in the sort of snooker press, and uh, yeah, he really does seem like a sort of a, a promising young player. And uh, we should say congratulations to all those uh, those 16 players who will be entering into next month's World Qualifier, which are getting closer and closer, Phil. That's early in April. So it really does mean that Sheffield's on the horizon. And we'll be talking about it all on here, of course, on Talking Snooker. And that's the podcast you're tuned into right now with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. And we are going to move on to correspondence, Phil. And we have a fair bit of it, don't we? We need to catch up on. And uh, I might kick off, if that's OK, with Gary McKenzie, who says, Hello, Nick and Phil. I hope this email finds you both in fine fettle. Not remotely, but the, but the, the, <laughs> the, the, it, it's a nice thought. Anyway, no, I, I, I'm generally well, Gary. It's not right at this moment. Thank you, sir. Your podcast is excellent, as always. And I wanted to chip in a few thoughts. The Welsh Open was a hugely enjoyable tournament, and one which I felt definitely kicked things off as we head towards Sheffield. In wrestling terms, it feels like our Royal Rumble on the road to WrestleMania. <laughs> That's a sentence we didn't think we'd hear on Talking Snooker. Bloody hell. It was I'm actually, actually a bit of a wrestling fan, so I did understand everything about that. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> it was great to see Rob Milkins win, and personally, I enjoyed the added excitement of him winning the Bet Victor Prize. In regards to the comments about the bonus being shared down the ranks, is that not something for World Snooker to organise rather than the sponsor? The idea of a low-ranked players tournament, however, is a great idea. While it may have been harsh, what O'Sullivan said, it could also be the truth. While you can never say with 100% accuracy that Daniel Wells will never win the tournament, some or indeed most players won't achieve that. And Ronnie was only saying what he believed. It was great to see Dave Gilbert pick up a few good results. He's one of my favourite players to watch. His match against Ben Mersons was very entertaining. I did laugh at Ben looking like every teenage boy who has been told by his mum to dress smartly. I missed that reference. Did he look, did he look like very smart then? I think I know what he means. He's just slightly sort of awkward teenager look about him. But yeah, um, nothing wrong with it. But I do, I do get his slightly scruffy teenager vibes from him. Right. Finally, I know it's a small thing, but I don't think Sean Murphy should have done the moonwalk. The start of a major final isn't the place for that. And I felt it was a tad disrespectful to the occasion. If you don't listen to his podcast, then you'd be wondering what on earth he was doing. Thanks again, gents. Gary, well, you certainly opened up a... uh, Say Hornet, that's a bit dramatic, but you certainly opened up a few interesting points there. The Welsh was enjoyable. It's going back a while now, so we are yeah. catching up on correspondence. We've had some great action since then, of course, but yeah, smashing tournament. And uh, I think the Welsh just, you know, goes from strength to strength, even though it's now over 30 years old. And it was great to see Rob Milkins win. Yeah, point taken about the Bet Victor Prize. It, you know, it's not up to the sponsors to do that. I, I said I'm not, not the biggest fan of the, of the bonus, I have to say, but. But um, yeah, your point is 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 very fair on that. Um, as for sort of the truth, um, 
for Ronnie. Um, yeah, but I think he's a, maybe has a responsibility to put things a little more more um, wisely than that. I think a little and maybe a little bit tinier than that. You you always say it, Phil, as ever with Ronnie. When you first see, it, you think, "Bloody hell, that's the most out of order thing I've ever seen." But then, when you sort of delve a bit deeper, you know, there is a little bit of Ronnie wisdom in there. But I don't know. Like, yeah, I think it's hard with the. I mean, him saying he's like saying that he's definitely never going to win a tournament. You know, you can't, as Gary says, they you don't know. You can't say that. It might, you know, it may turn out to be true. Could well do, but you can't say it. And it's a bit. You can't say it for sure, and I don't know why you'd want to say it anyway. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? What it is, what he thought, he may be right, but also Dan made Dan Wells made perfectly good points that you know, <laughs> really damaging for players' mental health. If you're hearing the greatest player ever just saying you're not good enough and you should be a part time player, and you know, if that's what he thinks, um, go and have a word with him backstage, maybe and give him a bit of advice, but maybe not shouting on TV. But it's tricky, isn't it? He might, you know, it is what he thinks and he might be right. So that's an argument. But should you say it? Should you say it in the way he said it? It's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much summed up well. They agreed on David Gilbert. Yeah, he's he's hard not to be a favourite player to watch. I think he's, he's such a lovely player to watch when he's on song, uh, which we haven't seen enough of lately, unfortunately. Um, I wasn't offended by Sean Murphy. I think... The game is sort of about fun. You have to ask Rob Milkins, I suppose. He's the one that we best placed to answer this question. Um, it was at the very start. Had he had he sort of, you know, come out after the mid-session interval and the last session, and every time he popped back from the from the toilet and did it, and you thought, think, yeah, this is a bit much now, mate. But I think what once at the start, a bit of a, it's a bit of an in-joke, but come on. Snooker's founded on in-jokes, Phil. We, we have enough on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I wasn't immensely bothered. Uh, no, I mean, I didn't mind. I thought it was funny. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things that just because he lost that people thought, looked back on it and thought it was the wrong thing to do. But, you know, it's over a sort of two-session final. I don't think it was uh, had too much impact. But, yeah, I mean, I was just laughing. You suggested he did it all the time. Imagine every time he potted a colour, he just did move more <laughs> to the next or something. That would have been too much. But I also wouldn't mind seeing it. It would be interesting. You know what? I don't, I don't. I can't raise myself to think too much about it now in my quite weakened state. But I, I would try anything to win the Tony Mio um, <laughs> challenge. I wonder if a, I can't do moonwalk, obviously, but I wonder if some sort of variation. It, it, it it's a kernel of a thought, anyway. But listen, thanks, thanks for all your um, points there, Gary. And um, we may not have agreed with them all, but we appreciate you making them. And there's mm. some very good ones, I think, there actually. Uh, do you want to say any more on that? And if you do, please do, sir. And if not, then move on to Martin Eccles. Uh, now, just um, it was nice to hear Ben Mertens. I'm still quite invested in the, of Ben Mertens and Julian Leclerc, the two young Belgian lads. I think both really good, like watching them, interested to see their progress. I was just looking at who they're playing this week at the Classic. Got Both got hard games, actually. Leclerc's playing Joe Yulong and Ben Mertens has got Ricky Walden. So um, tough ones there for the two young Belgian lads. But um, if they can win them, then they're encouraging progress will be continuing. Um, so we'll move on to Martin Eccles in Carlo on email. Hello, gentlemen. Sean Murphy did very well at the Players' Championship. Can he hold this form for Sheffield? I feel he's peaked too early. Hope not for his sake. What are your thoughts? And has Mark Allen also peaked too early? Also peaked his season too early? Regards, love the show, Martin. Um, 
Well, we'll see, won't we? It's impossible to say. Um, I did say, I did look um, after the Players' Championship and said on here that no one who's won the Players' Championship in its current format uh, at the stage of the season where it has been has then won the World Championship, ditto for the Tour Championship. Um, so there just seemed to be something about, you know, you don't, you can peak just before the World Championship and not hold on to it, but... I think you mentioned, Nick, that Mark Selby was the, uh, the one who booked the trend there when he won the China Open when that used to be just before the Worlds. So you never know. To um, you don't want to... No one, if they're coming into the World Championship in good form, thinks, I wish I wasn't in good form. I peaked too early. You want to be in good form, don't you? Um, but then, yeah, there's an argument to say Mark Allen peaked early enough that he's had his dip and then we'll come back again. Um what will happen, as will all, as always happens, is we'll see who wins the World Championship and then we'll just fit the narrative around what has happened, won't we? You know, if Sean Murphy wins it, then we'll say, oh, he came in perfectly. He wasn't even peaked at the players, but he did at Worlds. If Mark Allen wins it, we'll say what I just said. He sort of had a little dip before and he was well-placed for it. Um, it's so hard to tell. Um, but yeah, his recent history suggests you don't want to be winning stuff immediately before the World Championship, but... You know, no one who wins the Tour Championship is going to be leaving Hull saying, bloody hell, I wish I hadn't won that. <laughs> you said it all, really. Uh, I would say, guess what I've got in my head, but you're never going to let in a million years. It's the journalist Rod Studd. Now, he always hits out me on Twitter for, for <laughs> any kind of suggestion of momentum or players peaking or anything. Almost anything to do with form, really. He and he'll, and it, But he's a big one for saying that, yes, we just change the narrative depending on what the result is. And I, I think that's probably a fair, a fair, very fair call. Um, yeah, it's impossible to say, really. Um, I would say that the very greatest in sport are partly the greatest because they have that habit of peaking brilliantly. I mean, we, you know, we, we I mean, Hendry used to win bloody everything. So maybe that's a bad example. He didn't just peak for the Worlds. He was great generally all the time. But, you know, he... I guess you saw it, didn't you, with Federer and Nadal and Djokovic forever in a day. They would peak for the slams. Okay, mm. they did all the time, but they wouldn't win loads of tournaments in between, necessarily. They win a lot, but they generally always be good for the slams. And it's not easy. Um, these two specific examples, Mark Allen might have done, actually, because he was so good that I think it's hard to to sort of carry that on, you know, ad infinitum, frankly whoever you are. But I think Sean will be disappointed if he has. I mean, he's only just really, really started playing very well again. So I think he'd be, you know, gutted if he if it didn't last as long as at least a few more weeks. And maybe that takes us into Sheffield. Who knows? I mean, in some ways, he, you'd argue that he's starting to play well at just the right time. But then, of course, as we were saying when we were reviewing his recent victory, is that John Higgins won in mind. I think he won that just about the same time. And I distinctly remember you saying when we were previewing the, you know, the Crucible about how good John Higgins was then, but carrying it on is hard. And it just is. So it's the great unknown. And I guess what we are saying, Phil, and, and overall package here is we have just got one of the most fascinating, unpredictable world championships coming up, haven't we? Where a number of players can win. You can make a case for at least a dozen and a good solid case, maybe more. And aren't we lucky to love a sport that, that can throw that kind of scenario as we're going to the biggest tournament 
with so many potential winners. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it'll be very interesting if anyone's betting on things because I think there'll be value floating around all over the shop. Um, yeah, I guess with Sean, it was like, like you said, with John Higgins um, the other year, he just played so well at the Players' Championship that you think you probably can't keep that up because it was just too good. But even if in general form, you don't have to play as well as that to win matches at all. You can win matches playing a fair few percent worse than that. So I think it's definitely encouraging that there's general form there. And, you know, Sean is excellent at the Crucible. You know, one world title a long time ago, but three more finals and uh, he's always a threat. So, um, yeah, I, he may well not play as well in general as he did at the players, but his form is good going in Sheffield. Um, Mark Allen's an interesting one because I was such a purple patch for him. Uh, so much more so than we've ever seen from him before. I know he's won big tournaments before, but they were sort of popped in and out in general. We've always said he's one of those players that you wouldn't be that surprised to see him go out early or be in the final. Whereas for a while this season, he was at the deep end of everything, winning things. Um, so we it's hard to tell yet whether that was just an amazing few months or he's transformed himself into be able to do that on a very consistent basis. So uh, we'll see. Um, he's just a very unique case this season, I think, Alan, because then he had that period where he sort of changed his game a bit where he didn't think he was playing well, so slowed down, went a bit more tactical and still won a big tournament. In my mind, that sort of having... being If he's able to switch between that and his fluent best, then... He's a great candidate for the Crucible, um, but we'll see. It's why, it's why it's so interesting. It's impossible to answer your question, Martin. Um, but I would say Sean's in great form. Alan's shown great form. Who knows? Should we set aside about six hours for our Crusible preview of Richard? <laughs> yeah. Could easily do. We've got to cover our bases and basically chip in a suggestion for each person to win. So then we can say, I told you so afterwards and ignore all the bad predictions. We, we do that every year. Um, let's move on to David Shield on Twitter, shall we? Who says, I said on Twitter here, but that, I, I think that's a mistake. I think it's actually email because this is far too long for Twitter. So that's obviously just a very small mistake for me. But thank you, David, anyway. Hello, Nick and Phil. Just wanted to make a comment about the scheduling of the ITV events. We all know ITV have done a great job since returning to the sport. They have a great team and have given a good service to the sport. However, I think the way the semi-finals are scheduled is really unfair. Most ITV events have the first semi-final on the Friday night and the second on the Saturday night, giving one player a huge advantage with a full day off before the final, whereas their opponent could have a very late night. When ITV started showing the snooker, I believe the main reason the first semi-final was scheduled for the Friday was because the horse racing was on Saturday afternoons. Fair enough, but now the snooker is often moved to ITV3 Women's Football FA Cup and on Saturday nights the EFL highlights, brackets not even live coverage. Surely now they could play both semi-finals on the Saturday on ITV3 and be as fair as possible to the players. They could still start the tournament on a Monday night and have one less afternoon session through the week if they preferred. Regards, David. I have to say, David is one of those people that I love chat. Never met, but love chatting to on social media because he's an absolute sports fanatic. 
real person at the moment. There's about half a dozen like this that I just massively admire their pure obsession with sport. And he's one of them. So it's great to hear from you, David. Um, yeah, I, I've never, I have, I've never gone through the evidence of, 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 of how much the actual final result, you know, suggests what you say. You know, it does seem, doesn't it, that it's much nicer to be tucked up in bed on a Saturday night rather than going toe-to-toe in a safety battle with Mark Selby, Phil, or whatever the second semi-finalist is doing. But, um, but yeah, that's always been my understanding too, wanting to be corrected by somebody involved with television a lot, you know, I say more than I am, I'm not involved at all. So anyone involved with ITV, I've always understood that is the reason that they want to give priority to racing. I've always had no problem with that at all. And not because I like racing, but because I think, that's a sacrosanct spot for racing. And I understand why they want to make that, you know, a, a priority. That's racing's biggest slot of the week, frankly. Um, but that's not always the case, is it? Because some ITV events, there was that one that was live on the main channel. Would it have been the, just one after the mixed doubles, the British? That was on a Saturday afternoon last year. So I don't think all ITV events now do that. But I think maybe the ones this series still does. But anyway, um, I don't have a, a massive problem with it. I actually think, and I said this before, yeah, it has a little, I'm going to say gravitas again, Phil. It has a little bit of gravitas to have them both at night, I think. And there's just something about it. I quite like it. But I know a lot of people are really, uh, you know, quite, our friend Gary Moss is always quite anti. Sorry if I'm doing you a disservice there, Gary. He always doesn't doesn't like it at all. He waits all Saturday for the second one. Says it, you know, it throws the tournament out of kilter a bit. Again, I, I, I wouldn't mind a shilling for every time I said I'm not greatly offended uh, tonight. <laughs> um, I thought I, feel like I said it quite a lot, but I'm not greatly offended by it. Um, I think they're very good tournaments. It doesn't detract from it at all, really, for me. I can see that it maybe is an advantage, but again, what I think what the, the overriding story is, the ITV now has so much sport. I mean, it really does have so much and top sport as well. Six Nations on at the moment, uh, all the FA Cup it has now, you know, not just the racing, it has loads of commitment. So if Snooker has to make way sometimes and organise its events a bit differently so we get live coverage on two nights rather than one afternoon and one night as we're used to, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. I've lost enough sleep this week, Phil. Can't lose any more. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think on the fairness point, it's very hard to, unless you're playing at the same time, which no one wants because then you won't see one of them. You know, if one's played on Saturday afternoon and one's played on Saturday night, I guess the fairness angle is that it's unfair on someone if they're finishing at one o'clock in the morning they have to go and play the next lunchtime where the other person's been, as you said, like tucked up in bed. But that's the same issue if there's one in the afternoon and one in the evening, isn't it? Um, which always happens, yeah. at, you know, at a huge amount of tournaments, most tournaments. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, the way um, that David described it there and just switch it to the other channels as all with so many of these things it sounds like perfectly makes a lot of sense but there'll be reasons that we don't know that on the ITV scheduling calendar that they do it as they do but um yeah uh it does feel a bit weird for the tournament when you've had afternoon sessions all all week and then there's the one not one on the Saturday but uh, uh I'm afraid I'm the same as you Nick it doesn't bother me too much there's always other things that I'll happily do on a Saturday afternoon if the snooker's not on, uh, knowing that there'll be great snooker in the evening and more tomorrow. So, um, you, you, yeah. You mean, you mean watch other sports, don't you? Well, yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm joking. We have got lives outside sport and busy ones. 
Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I, I certainly see the point, but um, as I say, in the fairness stakes, then it, it might not make too much of a difference anyway. Indeed, and just to say, you know, that the number of times ah, I, oh, I have lost count that I've been watching a bit, or just, just that I've been at the Crucible and there's been a Saturday night humdinger that has gone to the wire. And we've all left that place saying, well, this is going to really going to affect so-and-so. He's got in the final, Oof, but he'll be a broken man come tomorrow. And yes, sometimes it's true, but sometimes I'll come out and play, or just any major final, let's just say the Crucible, and they'll play brilliantly the next afternoon. And the other goal, they'll have no sleep. So, you know, again, we'd have to go through, maybe I'll do it one day as a project film, maybe not. Um, <laughs> go through every tournament and actually work out. You know, I'm sure it would be in favour of the player that's finished first, frankly, uh, finished their semi before the other one. But, you know, as I say, you must have the same feeling. A number of times we thought, this guy will do nothing tomorrow afternoon. And he'd come out and plays brilliantly on the Sunday. And it looks like, you know, he, he, he might be might be running on fumes, but he's he's fallen up before you know it. <laughs> yeah, you just don't know what happens, you know, um, before a major final. You might not sleep whether you've just played a snooker match or not, you know, just... Um, or if you just played a game, you might go straight to bed and be so tired that you sleep quite well. Whereas the other person who's finished the night before in the afternoon goes out and has a big curry and a few pints and sleeps very badly. You know, <laughs> who knows what's going to have happened? So, which player were you thinking of? Go on, don't, uh, I any number of them to be fair. <laughs> You're thinking mainly about a three time world champion from Wales, aren't you? Sorry, Mark. No, you weren't. <laughs> you weren't that at all. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so there's all sorts that goes into it. But yeah, it would be interesting if we went and worked it all out. But um, yeah, it often it has, often doesn't work out just quite as obviously as the, the one who finishes later does worse. But thank you, David, very much. And it's Steve in Bournemouth on email next. Here we go. Yeah. Hi, Nick and Phil. Avid listeners to the podcast and follow you both on Twitter. Question for you both. I've never really paid much attention to the one-year ranking list until the Dual Bits series this year. It's really noticeable that there were so few big names in the one-year top 16. Is this because the overall world rankings include the world championship winnings or because the big names have not performed as well in ranking tournaments this year compared to previous years? If the former, do you think the ranking points from the worlds need to be reweighted? Seems unfair that some of the 16 best players over the year are disadvantaged in the overall rankings because the big names are guaranteed a big payout by going straight into the last 32 at the Worlds. An alternative could be for the World Championship to start as a round of 100 tournament, but I doubt that will ever happen. All the best, Steve. Um, well, I guess those first two questions are a bit of both, isn't it? You know, the World Ranking, the World Championship points aren't counted on the one-year list because um, obviously then, you know, John Higgins would be a hell of a lot higher than he is. Ronnie O'Sullivan wouldn't be worried about getting in the Tour Championship if that was the case. Um but they're not because, you know, it's called the one-year list, but it's really the one-season list. It's just this current season. Um, and it's also, as the second question was, is it because the big names haven't performed so well in ranking tournaments this year? I mean, that is it. That's the reason they're not there. Um, John Higgins has done next to nothing. Ronnie O'Sullivan, very little by his standards. You know, he's won two non-ranking tournaments, but very little in the ranking tournaments. Same with Neil Robertson. A um, few semi-finals, but he also didn't play in a couple of tournaments, so he's lagging behind. Um, so, yeah, should the World Championship points be counted in it? But then if they were, you know, the previous World Championship points, then it would be almost impossible to catch up with those. So 
they shouldn't be in there. But I think, yeah, the question from Steve was, should they be reweighted? And that's that's talked about uh, in other discussions, isn't it, about the ranking system and how it is too highly weighted. You know, it should, you know, the, the, no one's complaining about the prize money for the World Championship, but should you get 500,000 ranking points as well as the 500,000 pounds? Is that too much? Maybe it is. Um, you know, with the the tiered system, they've always had the Crucible, which they brought into the UK. There's a lot of top players who just need to want, win one game at those two tournaments to earn a huge amount of money, where lower-ranked players have to win a, a lot of games to catch up on that amount of money. So, um, yeah, it is that's a whole discussion that maybe... And I think, I think the wind is blowing that way, um, that we will probably move away from a, a money system because I think that most people, especially they bring more and more tiered systems in, talking about doing it the German again, aren't they? Um, yeah. That they probably will move away from the money ranking to slightly redistribute it. I don't think it's egregious. A lot of people complain about it like we've got the worst ranking system in the world. I don't think it's that bad. Um, I think generally you don't look at the rankings and think, what is he doing there? Like they're nowhere near that good or they're nowhere near that bad. I don't think it's that bad, but it could probably be tweaked and be a bit better. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with a lot of that. Chris Downer, when he joined us at the Crucible, among his many good points, you know, said he, he'd never been that happy with prize money being linked to ranking points. And it is weighted very heavily in that tournament. Some will argue there should be an element of that because... It is the biggest tournament, but of course, some players get straight there. Again, they get straight there because they're very good. I mean, as for the one to eight tournament, I mean, that's never going to happen because, you know, and we don't want it to happen because the World Championship has its own, you know, brilliance, I think it's fair to say. I think Joe Perry was, I mean, connected with the Crucible debate, but just in the general sense, you know, said, don't worry about the World Championship. That's the last thing we need to worry about. That's in a good place. And I think that's something we need to remember as well before we sort of start tinkering with this and that in the game. I mean, I would say that there are a few things that you probably think, oh, could that be fair in the game? But I actually think that this one year, you know, list and these ITV events are among the fairest things in the game, actually. that That is just purely on what you've done on the table. I mean, there was an argument, wasn't there? Was it the, is it the middle one of the three that Neil was defending, Neil Roberts and the players, and he couldn't get in? And people were yeah. saying, oh. And the tour, yeah. Exactly, and the tour. But uh, did he win the, oh, he won the tour as well, then he certainly won the players. And, um, but there was an argument, oh, he has to be in there because, you know, he's um, he's defending it. And I, you know, I was one of those that thought I had no problem with him not being in it at all. I thought, mm. you know, I would have been, Again, people have different views to this and no opinion is necessarily right or wrong on this one. But I, I personally had no problem with him not being in it because it's purely done on merit. It's a, it's a merit, meritocratic system, really, this one. You play well on the table, you're in that 32, 16 or the 8, you're in there. So I think it is to do with the players not playing well, frankly. And it, it means an unlikely list for the Tour Championship, which you were suggesting earlier. Some of those five that are already in it, there are two or three in that, maybe four in that, that you wouldn't have put good money on, you know, before the season. So it makes it, you know, an interesting shake-up, not the players we're used to, but that's the way it goes. Um, Yeah, it, it, it is interesting, isn't it, about the prize money thing, that, you know, that perhaps is, that does need to be something looked at there. It is weighted very heavily in favour of the World Championship and does skew it as well. But I think, as you say, you know, you Ray Ray look at the list and think, oh God, what's he doing that high? Or, 
you know, he should be. I mean, we do say that sometimes, but that's more that's sometimes more to do with the medium ranked ones, isn't it? Where we sort of think, well, they're really, really good, but that's not really affected by the world championship thing at all. That's more I think that's more that's more weightings for the winner across all the tournaments. You hear quite a few players complain about who get to a lot of last sixteens and the odd quarter final, but they never win anything. And they should be higher up for consistency. But I think a lot of players complain that it's far too weighted for winners in other tournaments as well. So if everything was weighted slightly down. But then other people would say, you know, winning tournaments is the hardest thing you could possibly do in snooker, so you should get rewarded for it. Um, So it's tricky. Um, But yeah, what, what I do like about the money thing, the money ranking system, is that it's very easy to understand. Yeah. And you know what the prize money is, and that's the world rankings. The and I'm not saying we shouldn't do this, but it is just an annoying complication of it. Is that each each tournament would have different ranking points? And, you know, I suppose that's the same. With, it's just slightly more complicated, I think, with a point system to just easily understand. You know, you look at a golf world ranking, and it's just like out forty five and a half thousand points or whatever it is. Yeah, and yeah. you're just like, well, what what does that mean? What have they won to get there? No idea. Um, and that would happen again, whereas money is very straightforward, which is probably why it's brought in, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, probably that's not a massive issue. That's just a slight annoyance about it, I think. No, that's that's all fair points. And thank you to Steve for those questions. And uh, well, well, we'll draw a veil over correspondence for now. Keep it coming, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. Um, maybe time to move on to any other business, uh, Phil. We should say that We've had some sad news this evening that Vera Selby has died at the age of 93. Now, this is a real pioneering character in the history of snooker, actually, and specifically uh, women's snooker. The first women's world champion in 1976. Uh, She won it again in in 1981 and always enjoyed snooker throughout our life. As I understand it, continued playing up until her 90s. Quite quite, uh, amazing, really. And... You may remember um, that, I'm sure people listening will, certainly, that the BBC put the Crucible Classics out probably a few years ago, now, seven or eight years ago. I think it got a, a certain audience that time around. When they brought it back again during lockdown, at the same time as the World Championships should have been in the spring of 2020, a lot of people noticed a female voice commentating on the Steve Davis Tony Knowles match, the famous 10-1 Knowles win in 82. Well, that was Vera Selby in an era where you just did not hear, well, you didn't hear female voices on many sports or, you know, frankly, but you certainly didn't hear it on snooker. So that was, um, you know, that was quite something to remember as well. Former Countdown contestant back in the day, the Richard Whiteley days. And World Snooker Tour put out a video tonight, haven't they? I think Rob Walker's done it with her when she was at the Crucible uh, maybe about six, seven years ago. And obviously just a, a big character in the history of the sport. So it's sad news. And, you know, as I say, it, a pioneering character. And these are the people we must pay great respect to and, and and say how sad it is that we've lost her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, Famous name in snooker, specifically women's snooker, but um, across the game. And yeah, as you say, I didn't, I didn't know the countdown thing, but clearly a very bright lady. I was just looking at her Wikipedia, which I'm going to have to trust is correct. But studied art and design at Leeds University before becoming a 
senior art textile and dress designer lecturer at the former Newcastle Polytechnic. Amazing stuff. Alongside all their work in snooker. Um, so, yeah, a sad loss um, and a great um, addition to the snooker world for many, many years. And uh, the age of 93, that's some effort. So, yeah, sad news and rest in peace for Selby. Very much so. And thoughts, I'm sure, of all people that love this game um, with Vera's family and all those that knew her. We must say thanks, Phil, to brilliant guests in the last two weeks, to Luke G. Williams and Colin Murray. Now, we've had a message from Luke, actually, which we'd like to read out. Uh, it says, Chaps, it was such a pleasure to be on the show. I have one regret, which is that I didn't mention the fact that I couldn't have written the book without the incredible kindness of a group of snooker fans I've never met who got in touch with me sent me multiple articles and scans from their personal magazine collections. The love of the game demonstrated by the game's followers and willingness to help someone they didn't know at all, merely because I was writing about snooker, was incredibly moving and touching. If there's any way you can quickly mention these people, I would be grateful. Dean Howe, Seamus Phelan, Marco Stiano, Gareth McGinley, Chris Bland and James Bealby. And actually, I, I probably know most of those people in a social media sense as well. And I have to say, they are great snooker people. Plus, a question for possible discussion. Is having six reds and the shootout a case of two... I like this. This is this is proper multifaceted behaviour from Luke here. Not just, you know, saying thanks, but also, you know, chucking in some correspondence as well. Keeping the, the wheels of the podcast turning. Is having six reds in the shootout a case of too many formats? Should snooker stick with one or other or both? I've always thought cricket, for example, has far too many formats uh, these days. Well, I'll maybe come to that in a moment. But should say, Luke, what a brilliant guest. Of course, written a book about Patsy Houlihan, uh, Phil, which we cannot wait to see because we know it's going to be a excellent read. We really enjoyed the book and... You know, we can't wait for other people to enjoy it as well. And no, no doubt they'll be sending Luke lots of compliments. And uh, just to bring this fascinating snooker character to life in the pages of his book was something that, you know, we're really grateful he's done. And we know so many fans will be. As for the formats, well, um, I, I'm not too worried about that. And the, re the, the reason I think that I would differentiate with cricket is that ultimately those quotes, unquote, new. It's not that new now, 2020. It's 20 years old, but it's new-ish new in the history of cricket. They've overtaken everything, haven't they, basically, 2020? I mean, I mean, you follow cricket closer than I do now, but, I mean, we have the Indian Premier League where some of the best players in the world will go off to, and that has implications for when they play their other forms of the game. And, you know, all the 2020 tournaments at home and now the 100. And they've taken over not to the expense completely of test cricket, but you'd argue the detriment of it, certainly to the way test cricket is played. But I don't see anything like that quite in snooker. Uh, and I think that we just about get the balance right at the moment of having a little variation here and there. The shootout always comes at the right time of the season for me. And, you know, we're really looking at, you know, looking, I think, to have the odd, the odd format that enhances the game. That's the way I, I look at it at the moment. They don't overdo it. I think there's room for another shootout even, or maybe a week-long event. That That's just the way I see it, the way it's, it's so successful. But um, generally, we should say, Phil, you have your say on that, of course. And Luke, what a guest. You know, brilliant. 
It's so eloquent, so interesting. And I say, we have to find a reason to get him back on one day. You'll have to write another bloody book. <laughs> yeah, we'll get him on 15 years' time when he's done another one or something. <laughs> no, he was superb. Last last couple of weeks have been great with him and Colin. Uh, thanks again for both those guys coming on. They're brilliant. Um, and yeah, I think I have the same as you, really. Like Just the odd tournament here and there. Um, interesting enough, I was listening to um, the 147 podcast, Sean and Phil's podcast, and Sean aired a rumour, which he was clear to say was a rumour, um, that the Six Reds could be a ranking tournament next year, um, which would be an interesting move. Um, because, funnily, a couple of people asked me on, when I'd been mentioning the Six Reds on social media, said, oh, is it a ranking tournament? And my initial reaction was, that's a bit of a daft question. Of course, it's not a ranking tournament. But then I was like, well, it's different rules, um, which made me think it shouldn't be. But the shootout is ranking. It would be, it'd be certainly no more daft, if not considerably less daft, than having the shootout as a ranking tournament to have the six reds as a ranking tournament. So um, that may well happen. We'll see. Um, but yeah, as I say, just the odd one, like you said, the odd one here and there um, is absolutely fine for my money. We all know what the main format of snooker is. Um, but, you know, if, if, if six reds became snooker's T20 and it took off in another part of the world or in this part of the world... Um, you know, great. If it was popular, why not? Um, we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's a problem at the minute, though. What do you make of Phil and Sean jumping out of this plane? <laughs> oh, I'm a, a bit jealous, to be honest. It's something that's always been on my list of things to do. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure they'll enjoy it. In that sense, we're very different humans. I'm not remotely jealous. <laughs> Admiring, but no, jealousy is a million miles away from my thoughts. But we, we wish them well. We wish them well. And it's for an excellent cause as well, we should say. And uh, they had John McDonald, didn't they, with them? Mm. The MC who spoke uh, very well about, about uh, the important cause behind it. So you should listen to the 147 pod for more information on that. And Colin Murray as well. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. So entertaining. Still feel a bit guilty we kept Colin from preparing a show for the nation to speak to us. But that's all part it's all part of the media, isn't it, Phil? And uh, yeah, we really did have we had some night quite a few messages from people that wouldn't normally tune into us, obviously, because Colin was on and he really is a popular guy and uh, he spoke so well about a whole a whole host of matters. I was just saying to you, wasn't I, just earlier today on the message that probably could have had Colin a week later. And in such a newsworthy way, because of course he pulled out a fighting talk, didn't he? His Radio 5 live show in light of the Gary Lineker saga. Mind you, had it been the, the Monday yesterday in the UK, I wouldn't have been well. That would have been awful with the, to be in that situation when we had a big guest on. But anyway, um, yes, because <laughs> some people are maybe not across this, especially they're not in the UK. We had a big story here, of course, haven't we, that Gary Lineker was pulled off air, the famous former... England international that is now our main football host taken off the air because of a tweet he sent about our government's policy at the moment. Uh, one of the one of the major policies, which frankly a lot of people didn't agree with, uh, the right wing press leading that uh, charge, and the BBC in their wisdom, or I have to say, total lack of wisdom, suggested he step back from presenting. And then we, we had a ludicrous scenario at the weekend of, of match of the day lasting 20 minutes 
having no commentaries. They had no, they had no rights to the world feed commentators and couldn't get them. And it's just the most, I mean, viewing figures went up, but the fact, the fact is viewing figures went up because people are curious. Most of us are ghouls, God damn it. Yeah. And, 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 and people wanted to see why, you know, how different it would be. And that's no vindication of it whatsoever. But yes, Colin was at the heart of that. He's one of those people, and many of them, and many of them are freelancers. Some of the staff maybe weren't quite in that position, but many of the freelancers pulled out of jobs. Colin was among them. But as, in terms of coming on with us, Colin was great, wasn't he? So entertaining, and we can't thank him enough. Yeah, absolutely fantastic, yeah. Um, one of those guests, we didn't have to prepare too many questions, so he just went off, but that was superb. Um, and yeah, I was thinking while you were talking there, imagine if that... The whole Lineker thing had happened during the World Championship and maybe the snooker presenters wanted to show solidarity. What would have happened then? Could have been chaos. It didn't really spread to other sports, though, did it? Because uh, even the rugby went off. But I'm not trying to be, you know, difficult. That's true. It's a very good point, but it, it could have spread to other sports had it gone on longer. <laughs> but it didn't quite over that weekend. It was kind of limited to football. Having said that, there was one time... Well, it, it, it extended to other sports on the radio, to be fair. We lost a lot of radio coverage, but I'm telling you, no. but having, having said that, early on it was like, oh, well, it's just going to be this, isn't it? You know, this is probably what the BBC were thinking. It's just going to be this, a couple of percenters. Oh, no, Ian Wright and the Shearer have gone, oh, we haven't really got a match of the day. Wait a second, we haven't got a football focus. It went on <laughs> and on. It, was not, it just got more of a nightmare. For the, they had no final score. All these flagship programmes that have been on the BBC for... Well, for generations, focus, the scores at tea time, match of the day, been on the telly for nearly 60 years, all went. I mean, it was a it was a bewildering saga. We, we're used to bewildering sagas in this country, but this was right up there at the top of them. <laughs> yeah, it was bizarre. And I mean, just sort of how you can make a, such a polarising, alienating figure out of Gary Lineker, who's no sort of bland, nice enough chap, who just all he does is dad jokes and just sort of a very normal bloke, you know. If, he, if he's become a radical, then we're doing something wrong in society, aren't we? Christ. Um, but yeah, that shows where the sort of BBC were at with that and the government, awful, isn't it? Um, but yeah, they've sort of made to be, been made to look very silly, which is good. Well, that's a, yeah, not a bad way of summing it up. Phil, we should depart. We should say that you are going to the classic and you'll know that have lots of good information and You'll no doubt be prolific with, with getting interviews out. We keep an eye on your feed. Then after that, you're off on a bloody brilliant holiday and we're all going to be so jealous. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've not been in this like a while. I've been on holiday. Um, but yeah, I'm off to Tel Aviv um, for a week, which I've been looking forward to for a while. It was going to be going to be last summer, but we postponed it because we were scared just after moving out. So I've been waiting for this for a while, but um, I'm afraid it means we'll be postponing next week episode for a while um, until I'm back. Uh and then we'll uh, we'll cover everything. What date did we say? We'll just be missing a week, I guess, will we? We'll do it the day before the tour championship, I think. So let me Perfect, go through yeah. the diary. Old school, Phil. Old school <laughs> paper diary. And that means we will return on this podcast, all being well, on Sunday the 26th, which is when British summertime begins for the oh, You always get that in diaries, don't you? They don't give you much in these ones that I buy from Smith, WH Smith. But you always get that. Butch's summertime begins. Sunday the 26th. So we'll be able to look back at the classic and look ahead to the tour championship. So um it should be a bumper episode. But yeah, have a great time. It's gonna be it's gonna be marvelous. Um and, and we look forward to, as you say, some some of the, the interviews and the uh, 
the great news that you'll know that put out before you go. And we will see you in two weeks, everybody. Uh, have you got anything else to say, Phil, or is that it for now, sir? No, not at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looking forward to going and seeing a classic in a sort of unique atmosphere it's going to be in. But yeah, thanks everyone for listening as always. Uh, pleasure to have you on board. Very much so. Keep your thoughts coming to us, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. And as Phil says, do enjoy the classic. Next big ranking event. There aren't many left this season. Sheffield on the horizon. Tour championship to come. But this is the last in terms of multiplayer one week style ranking events this season. So they, they are to be enjoyed. They are to be treasured. Enjoy it all. Uh, for now, from Talking Snooker, from Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.